Hospitality Meets is brought to you by Rotacloud, the people management platform for hospitality teams. With its intuitive drag-and-drop rotor planner and built-in budgeting tools, Rotacloud users spend an average of 66% less time on staffing-related admin, leaving them with more time to spend with their customers, train staff, or simply take a well-earned break. Head over to rotacloud.com forward slash fill to explore Rotacloud's full range of tools and features and sign up for your 30-day free trial. Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is superstar chef and restaurateur Adam Handling, owner of Adam Handling Restaurant Group. Coming up on today's show, Adam describes what pressure looks like. Your heart's in your throat, your balls are inside your body, you don't know if you're going to throw <laughs> up or shit yourself, and you're just really, really nervous. Phil gets way too excited. Calm down, Phil, you're a 45-year-old man, get a hold of yourself. And Adam gifts us a huge reveal. And I have to admit, that's the best thing I've ever achieved in my life. All that and so much more as we chat through Adam's epic story and journey to date. It's so awesome to sit down with people who give a monkeys about what they do and Adam talks with such passion throughout. He also dishes up more than his fair share of golden nuggets for you all to take on your way with you. A huge thank you to Adam for giving up his time. It is of course amazing to be back. This podcast exists to shine a light on the great and good of hospitality and I'm going to continue to work hard bringing you the best people at all levels and all areas. So if I can ask one favour of you, that would be to hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a huge difference. Enjoy. And a huge hospitality meets welcome to Man of the Moment, Adam Handling. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Yeah, thanks. Good intro. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, at this moment in time that we have, I've just literally finished watching Great British Menu 2023. I've been engaging with you a little bit on your Instagram feed around that journey. And man, I would have cried if you hadn't got a dish to the banquet this year. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> But you, I mean, you were you were consistent all the way through, same as last year. Yeah. As you said, I think you called it the Great British Spencer Show or something yeah, yeah, like yeah, that last yeah. year. But uh, but this year it, you did it. I said that in a positive way because he was such a phenomenal chef, or he is such a phenomenal chef, and he dominated the competition last year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But anyway, I'm sure we'll get into this. For the uninitiated out there, who are you and what do you do? I'm Adam Handling. I'm just a chef. I do have a few restaurants as well, a couple of bars, pub. Uh, so yeah, I, I suppose the words restaurateur now, but I'm still behind the behind uh, the pass every day. I'm in service. We have the Frog Michelinside Restaurant in London. Yep. Windsor site is the Lock in the Tyne, so it's my it's my like kind of gastro pub if you want to call it. Bedrooms, loads of gardens in the back where they grow everything. Ugly Butterfly, the one in Cornwall, hosted the G7. It's very sustainable. It's all about uh, sustainable local luxury from the Cornwall borders. And uh, we're Eve Bar, which uh, actually launches tonight. <laughs> Really? Yeah. And you're doing this with me? Yes. <laughs> you madman. <laughs> it launches in an hour and a half. Oh, God. Okay, so we better crack on then. Oh, we'll be okay. I can, I can go late. Very good. Very good. Right. Well, I mean, let's just get to it then. Let's take us all the way back to the beginning. Obviously, you were representing Scotland at the Great British Menu. You, you can still hear that in your accent, as you can with mine. Which part of the world are you from up there? Born in Dundee, wasn't raised there, but born there, um, military family, so I travelled around quite a bit. Left when I was four, came back when I was 15, oh, came back when I was 14. Did uh, two years in school there until I was 15, and then I started in Glen Eagles Hotel as one of the first apprentice chefs. Wow. Yeah, nearly 20 years ago. That's Really? Yeah. yeah. That's not a bad place to get your uh, your wings, though, is it? No, that was phenomenal. To be fair, I, didn't, I, I wish I had a romantic story to tell you about how I got in this industry, but it's not. 
I wasn't an academic. I wasn't one to be in school, probably like quite a lot of the industry, I, w- I would say. And uh, my mother's very strict on universities free in Scotland. So take advantage of the system, get a qualifications, get your master's or whatever you call them and uh, do something with your do something with your life. Get out, enjoy it. Um, that's not for me. So I broke my mum down day by day. <laughs> mum, I don't want to go to university. It's not for me. I don't want to stay on and, and get my hires and all that stuff. She's like, okay, get an apprenticeship. Do whatever the hell you want. Literally whatever you want. As long as it's a, it's a good place, it'll work well on your CV and you can still get your qualifications. So, okay, perfect. The first thing that crossed my school was looking for, for apprentice chefs in Glen Eagles. I told my dad and he's like, don't tell your mum. This will be our little secret. Apply for it. <laughs> I'll take you for your interviews, and if you get it, woo, you can tell her. If you don't, it's our secret. No one need, no one needs to know. And I remember that first day like it was yesterday. Really? I wore my dad's suit, and I was a runty kid, skinny, <laughs> skinny little beanpole when I was about that age. And I, I walked up to Glen Eagles through the doors. Didn't I didn't know people lived like that. I'd never been to Glen Eagles before. All I knew is when I did my research, it's, it's a nice big building. Yeah. But when you walk in there and the Pretty people... Pretty decent hotel. Oh, it's stunning. Absolutely stunning. And anyway, I, I walked in there dressed in my father's suit and the, the woman peered over the desk to be, you're here for the apprenticeship program, aren't you? I was like, yep, I am. Pointed to the ball, the ballroom, which was just on the right-hand side. And uh, excessive doors. Floor to ceiling, really high doors. I open it up. And I walk down this, and I stand there, and to walk down the stairs, three desks in this huge, stunning room. And as soon as I start walking down, the, the HR director comes up to me and goes, "Hi, I'm I forgot her name actually." And I said, ah, "I'm Adam," and I shook her hand, and it was the most pathetic excuse of a handshake because I was so nervous. <laughs> I like I like hooked onto her fingertips and just waggled yeah, it. A little wet uh, one. It was pathetic. Yeah. Um, now I always make sure my handshakes are pretty good, but. Uh, yeah, I remember the, the, the first day of the rest of my life, to be fair. Were you immediately hooked? By no, it? not really. Um, when, I was immediately hooked by the lifestyle. I'd never experienced that. My family are nowhere near that, that, that sort of uh, uh, people at all. And when I, when I was exposed to food properly, because military family, food was about nutrition. It was about staying alive tomorrow. It wasn't about experience. It wasn't about getting around the table. Or I never went to restaurants when I was younger. Right. Never. It was nothing. Nothing was romantic about food. It was you eat to survive. Right. Not in a real, you know, like we, we didn't live in a cave. No, but no. You know, it's a military <laughs> family. The, 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 that isn't the, that isn't the, the focus when it comes to family time. It's being with the family. So it wasn't until maybe about six to nine months in where I then fell in love with it. The first part, you know, I got shouted at every second day. I was making teas and coffees, peeling vegetables doing all the stuff that you know you work your way up and i very yeah. much did that and um it making wasn't lots of mistakes probably at man, that time. I, making i make mistakes all the time even now in my career but the thing is you learn what you did wrong not to do it again but this world is all full of different corners and you always even if it's not even if it's the smallest little teeny weeny thing you uh, everyone every day will make a single mistake in their life it's how they get out of it never make it again be a better person be a stronger chef be a better leader uh, so I'm all for people making mistakes. Just don't repeat them. Yep. And um, it wasn't until my chef, Rodney Graham, he was the exec suit, big Irish guy, scary as hell, uh, asked me to help him make his duck liver parfaits and, uh, with him. And I was like, oh, boom, he's the only one that's allowed to make that there. I was in the Strathairn at this point, so the, the massive restaurant. And he's blitzing all of his stuff up and he's tasting it. And I'm getting excited and I'm learning stuff. 
I'm like, this is nuts. I see the end product. I don't see the, you know, the start, the middle and the end. Yeah. How the hell are you making this awesome little slice of parfait? Uh, or even the simplest thing is like, uh, I hated mushrooms. Making Duxel because every Saturday was Wellington on the trolley in the Strathern. And it was just that the journey of three, four days it takes to make a welly and every single thing being perfect, you know, chopping your mushrooms, roasting them all off in garlic and, and uh, thyme, uh, shallots, uh, Madeira, and then hanging them so they dry out even more, mixing them with the chicken mousse. Oh, yeah. All the proper way to do everything. And it was, the, it was everything that I'm tasting. I was being like, I never used to like that before. Now I bloody love it. And it was that inspiration and that excitement to learn more, be hungry to hungry in the literal sense as well as the brain sense to learn why the hell am I liking things now and not then? And that there, that inspiration, that that dangerous door, I went in head first. Right, got you. And well, and now your palate is beginning to open as well. Probably if you've if you had a restricted palate in the past, it's such a massive thing, right? Especially as a young man, I've to- I've spoken about this on this podcast before. I was exactly the same. I'm not a chef, but I um, uh, until I went traveling, that was the moment where my palate started to open up because I just woke up one day and said, look at wow. all this amazing stuff that you're just bypassing for steak and chips. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think whenever you're introduced to something new, something you haven't, you haven't seen before, but one of the big main taste sensations, sweet, salty, savory, bitter, umami, it kind of jolts something to be like, you get like a little electric shock, but on your tongue, like what the hell is this? How how have I not experienced this before? Yeah. And then and then your little brain starts ticking to be like, let's dive in a little deeper. And then that's the only way anyone progresses. I'm all for traveling. I I I traveled as well, and I thought it was it was um, perhaps the 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 journey into my sustainability angle was was when I went traveling. Right, got you. Okay, well I'm sure we'll get into that as well. So making ground at uh, Glen Eagles. What happened next? I was there. I was there um, three years, and then I came down to London like any, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed young uh, chef wanting to conquer the most hardest city in the in the country. And um, what year are we in now? We're probably about two thousand oh, and early two thousands. Uh, yeah, probably something like that. I can't really remember. So the food scene here was beginning to maneuver big but, time for sure. But you know, I, I was a chef that you know followed the Gordon Ramsays, the um, yeah. the Tom Akins. Uh, the Gary Rhodes kind of era of yeah. chefs, Marcus Waring, all of them ones. And I thought, you know what? I've saved up for three years. Now, let's have, because I had two jobs. Uh, I, I worked I worked somewhere else on my, because I worked Monday to Friday in my first year. So I had two days off, Friday, Sunday, and I, I, I worked uh, somewhere else. And then on my other days, I didn't work, I worked weekends, but my other two days, I worked somewhere else as well. Just because my dream was, I'm I'm completely hooked. I want a restaurant. So I need to save up because I'm not going to get my money from anyone else. So that's why I had it. But then I thought, I want to go and target London. So I had a big pot of savings. And um, I went and just knocked on the doors, asked to do stages. Right. You know, so I, I did them all over the place. And uh, I hated every moment of it. <laughs> I, I would be lying if really I said inspirational, it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 because I didn't experience it before. Right. You know, I, I, I had rented a place for six months down here. So I had to commit. And... You go from Glen Eagles where I, I learn everything from there. You come down to London and everything I learned went out the window. Right. You, know, right, you, right. you go to, I did Rhodes 24 for um, for a month and I loved it. That one was probably the, the, the more chilled one. Uh, and, then, and then I trialed in Hospital Road. That was a different kind of eye-opening perhaps way to do it. And then Tom Aiken's restaurant twice. 
because I love that one so much because for him, he was my biggest inspiration. He's the only chef still today that can put a lot of components on a plate and they all work magically and make something really, really wonderful. Right. And I'd always been really excited, intrigued about his, his restaurant. His, uh, uh, his book actually was one of the first, what I might classify as an elite cookbook oh, yes. uh, that I had in, in my house. And I'd, I always remember, like I'd never seen such a thing of beauty, the, the photography around it and you know, just everything. And uh, yeah, yeah, he was always a, a chef uh, that I, I always wanted to go and try oh for sure yeah i wanted to work there but um i still remember on the second the second time i went there i asked uh can i stay here and he said i need uh, not him but his head chef at the time said i need more experience okay perfect so then i went to the grill in the dorchester and i did i did uh some days there when i was staging too and i just really wanted to basically soak up as much as possible from a lot of different restaurants and take what i like forget what i don't Right. Don't let the, the things I don't like stay in my body. Push it out. There are certain ways that people run kitchens. That isn't for me. And I don't do that that way in my group. I'm a very positive person. Happy people create better food. Happy chefs. Happy waiters. Better customers. Yep. That experience of positivity uh, seeps out and then it, it's infectious. Negativity is also infectious. Uh, so therefore... Having a wide spread of restaurants that um, I had put my toe in, I realized what path I wanted to go down. So after my six months there, I, I um, actually had a phone call from one of the head chefs from Glen Eagles to say, I'm just moving to Newcastle. Do you want to, you, you looking for a job? I was like, never been in Newcastle before? Why the hell Why not? not? <laughs> so, <laughs> and I worked there for a long time. So I went to, the, I went to Malmaison in Newcastle uh, back in the day when it was, it was an awesome place. And... Um, I worked there three years, bloody loved it, absolutely loved it. And uh, I went straight, I went, not straight up, but I worked my way up in three years to, to Senior Sue. And uh, Stephen, who's still with me today, 15 years ago, is uh, my, my, still with me, my chef of my Windsor site. So this is when, this is the, this is the, as soon as I become a senior chef, this is, this is when I start to have people stay with me wherever I went. Yeah. And then there was a situation after Newcastle that, that made me leave. And it was, I, uh, I accidentally got my, my partner pregnant, which we were not planning. We were very young at that point in time. So we went back to Dundee. We went back, back there to be sensible, close to family. You know, I, 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 I'm bringing a baby in the world. So do the honorable thing and look after your child. We went back to Dundee. I went to the Fairmont in St. Andrews, beautiful hotel, loved yeah. it. And that's when I met Johnny. So 12 years. And he's now the uh, proprietor of Windsor Site. And what level are you at at this point at St. Andrews? So uh, head chef. You're head chef now. Yeah, yeah. so the, I was think I was the youngest head chef in all the Fairmont group. There was right. only two in the UK, the Savoy and, and this one. But I think I was the youngest youngest uh, head chef. I think I was 24, 25. God, Way too that, young that to have young. that position. But I was hungry and I, I was really, really hungry. And I just wanted to do the best I possibly could. So... Uh, the people around me saw that, you know, we didn't cut corners. We didn't want to have an easy life. We created a dish. Let's create it. But by this point, I hadn't quite figured out my style. So right. it was a lot of everybody's that I'd been in contact with. There was a lot of let's let's le learn from these amazing chefs. Bring it back to your restaurants. So it wasn't until later on in life where I got my own style, which the frog is what it is now. So I was there three years, three and a bit years, and then me and uh, me and my daughter's mum separated, 
because it just wasn't it wasn't healthy. We it, it, having a child, especially at a young age, is very dangerous. It, you, no one's equipped for it. Yeah. Uh, so we went our separate ways, and I decided to go traveling. You know, a lot, it was a lot to, a lot for me, and and she found somebody else. I went traveling, and uh, that's where I really learned to calm the hell down. Really? Stop, yeah. Right. I was running so 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 hard and so fast, and I did that. Sorry to interrupt you. Did the the motivation to run hard and go at it did that did that come from you or do you feel like you've had a you had a series of mentors that kind of gave you this ethos or do you think you've just always had it i've always had the drive to do the best i can because i never like to come in second place right always and that's not bad that's not being arrogant that's being hungry for a project meaning anything that i put my mind to i'll study the life out of it and i will try and learn as much as i possibly can from it so that I'm always the one that knows more than the next person. Since I was little, bear in mind, I got a huge family. Right. So I got four sisters, two brothers okay. in total. Yeah. So like it was always, it was always, and they're the smart ones. I'm, I take after my mum. I'm more with my hands. The rest, they're bloody smart. Right. So I'm surrounded by smart people and it's just like, oh, God damn it. You know, they can all spell better than me when I was three years and six years older than them. Right. They can all do maths better than me back then as well. So I always felt that I wasn't the smartest in the room. And I knew that. That's why whenever I put my head to something, I have to learn everything because I hate the feeling of being stupid. And, you know, it's a double-edged sword because you put your your heart and soul, mind, energy and power into it. You learn a lot more, especially nowadays. There's a lot of, lot, of, lot, of, lot of chefs nowadays. They don't read enough. They don't study enough. They don't do stages enough. They don't learn. They do their job. They go home. They party. And that wasn't for me. I didn't. I didn't work the week to enjoy the weekend. I worked the week to study so hard and become the best. And then I had a second job on my days off. Right. Obviously, people nowadays are a little bit different to me. Different then, but I, I. I was building a future, not building my weekend. Yeah. You know, I didn't care about going out on a Saturday and or or, or a Sunday or whatever, and then on Monday be like, oh, I'm so hungover, I'm so tired. I had a mental one on the weekend. Yeah. What the fuck. That's the first day back to work. You should be bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, ready to, ready to learn. Uh, so my career, when I, I didn't have a childhood. Well, when I say childhood, I didn't have like a, a teenage, like, you know, because I started at 15, working like a nut job. Yeah, of course. Until I was like maybe 26, 27. Then I started to enjoy myself. But that was when I had the frog. Right. So I'd already had my first group. I worked my socks off to achieve it. And that's when I decided to, you know, go out for dinner more, hang out with friends more. That sort of stuff. Yeah, and enjoy the fruits of your labor to this point, I guess. Of course. Um, but do you know what? I had, I had Benoit Blin from Le Manoir, mm-hmm. uh, exec pastry chef extraordinaire, on the show. Uh, he was actually the last episode of last season. And he spoke about exactly the same thing, about there's a lot of pursuit of fun. And that's fine. Like I'm, we're not, I'm absolutely not operating fun at all because I think it's a massive part of everyday life. But if you really want to achieve excellence there's no shortcuts to it you can't you've got to devote your life to it and you're yeah. kind of now a, a, another case in point no it's very true like, you know I'm, I'm 35 very shortly i have a restaurant group number of restaurants i own that company i can do whatever the hell i want i'm not going to because i'm, I'm i've got 200 staff under me under me that require guidance and security yeah but i achieved that on my own i don't have wealthy parents I got investment, but I had to work my socks off for it. I had to prove that I was good enough to invest into because investors invest in finance. They don't invest in people. 
people to a degree but if you want to really grow your grip you need someone that'll that'll think okay yeah my my ROI my return on investment is x y and z sure I'll give you I'll give you some money to do it yeah you don't get rich person saying yeah here's a million pound go knock yourself Off out you I don't care <laughs> if I get it back yeah so, still still to find that person to be oh, honest oh yeah to be fair me too yeah. <laughs> I, I, I still want to grow but no it's all about dedicate your your time to create your future don't dedicate your time or don't work to dedicate your time to get loose and go crazy not until your foundations of your career are set and i'm a massive 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 advocate of that you know we have a staff restaurant below this where we are now we have a staff restaurant we have a staff dining room we have this little chill out areas we've got staff training offices so if you want to learn a new skills we just put our chefs through our wset2s why does a chef need to have a sommelier qualification because they want to learn about it they want a new skill and it's all about the our group funds all of that we want chefs front of house bar team all of them even back office to learn as much as they possibly can from this group and then when their heads are that full of everything that we can give them then go somewhere else yeah and i i'm a firm believer that build your foundations as strong as you possibly can seep every bit of information get every qualification you probably can you you can capably do and then either progress in that company or leave that company don't fester in it because you're just standing still or stepping back. Yeah. So for me, getting young chefs or young front of house or bartenders into or sommeliers into the group and and allowing them to be like, yeah, okay, I understand this might be a little bit like repetitive. Do you want to do one day here, one day there? Do you want to learn this new skill? You know what? All of you, three o'clock, we're all going to the gym. It's just around the corner from the frog. Sure, let's do it. So you're pushing for this sort of stuff to happen. You know, there's a swimming pool there. This is a, so you can go do, do that during the day. I do a weird thing with lunch. We only do lunch 12 to 12.30. So 12, 12.15, 12.30, but we pack it all in. So we only do one sitting. And we do that so that everyone can make sure they get a nice big break in the middle of there where they can go and go to the staff restaurant in the Frog and just eat whatever they want, whenever they want. It's always healthy stuff. We only allow fried stuff once a week. We always have breakfast, lunch, dinner there. They can go to the gym. They, there's so many different, uh, you know, healthy perks that we can do. We're around the park, we all go for runs. And people are like, oh, that's bloody, that's a lot of work. I just want to cook. You don't need to come and join us. Yeah. But we're encouraging. And if you're surrounded by like-minded people, you'll absorb that. One of the phrases that I heard and I always love is, show me your friends, I'll tell you how successful you're going to be. Interesting. Yeah, well, that, that kind of speaks to that idea that the you're, you're a product of the five closest people to you or something like that. 100%. Right? My, yeah. three, my three best friends work for me. Nicola, my exec director, who started off as operations coordinator but just has that vision. George, my restaurant director, who is me, front of housewives, who started off as restaurant manager, then went to a GM, then assistant group GM, now restaurant manager, uh, now restaurant director. And I think you surround yourself with like-minded, hungry people. You'll automatically become better. You surround yourself with people that are like, oh, three days and then I want to go out we're going to hit this nightclub do that whatever and then they come in hungover you surround yourself with them it's negative it's, it's self-destructive it's completely pointless to benefit your career you only get old when your body stops you keep moving you'll stay young and I know it's like oh yeah whatever I'm just a chef I don't know that but you keep moving your body is constantly it's like being in the gym all the time festering three days sitting on your arse doing nothing your mental health breaks down considerably 
Yeah, well, I mean, we all got to experience a bit of that in 2020 when uh, that that broke me. Well, I, I stuck that on the list of stuff to talk to you about, and I'm sure should we. Well, maybe we should just talk about it now because I know, especially for for those of us who are kind of used to just being on and going at your goals and your visions and all of that sort of thing. When that hit in 2020, I, I was definitely one of the the people who. That's why I started a podcast, to be honest, because I I, I thought I can't I can't sit here and just watch Netflix. Yeah. This is just a waste of life. So yeah. what do we do? What do we do? That's a, a bit different because I'm a, a recruiter by day. That's what I do. But so yeah, talk to me about that experience because at this point in time, if I remember correctly, you your trajectory was on the way up. Like you you were your restaurant empire, for want of a better phrase, was growing. It was and, big. Yeah, and um, so yeah, how did that? What happened? Well, I remember it like it was bloody yesterday. I knew I, I, when it all happened and no one really knew what was going on, I was I was getting worried and I was seeing bookings in that, that final week just drop considerably. And I'm like, oh, the frog can't really be doing that because it's a bloody expensive restaurant to be running. Yeah. And I'm seeing every restaurant drop it. And the frog never has that problem. When the frog starts to drop covers, I'm worried because they that basically holds up the whole company. And um, the final day when Boris, was it Boris? Yeah. It was, I know, well, there's so his. many, haven't I we? Can't, yeah, no, it keeps, <laughs> uh, when, when, they, when, when whoever was in charge says, all restaurants, oh no, to stay away from restaurants. Mm. That was it. It wasn't to close, it was to oh, stay away from restaurants. Yeah, that was like a, a knife to the heart. Yeah. I mean, that, for me, I can't imagine what it must have been like for, for a restaurant. I mean, more so because I knew that my, my, my insurance wouldn't be covered if, if it, my insurance will be covered if it get told to close, but not if I get told if people get told to stay away. So within that point, I was like, what the hell do we do? You know, like, I, I, I'm, I, this is how much money we've got in the bank account. We had, we had 330 staff at that point. Uh, what, how are we going to, how, how, how are we going to survive? Mm. Restaurants do not contain more than a month's, if that, cash flow. Because yeah. they obviously, every day they bring in more cash flow coming up. And um, I, 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 on the final day where it says close restaurants, I, I, I didn't know what to do. I felt I felt so small. My staff were saying, "What's going to happen? What are we doing?" I'm like, I'm from someone that likes to know all the answers, and then and then reassure people. I didn't know. I locked myself in my disabled toilet, the one on the upstairs of the frog, and I cried my eyes out. Really? Nicola said to me, "Mate, we have to fire everyone," and I'm like, "I know because we can't do it." So we were told, obviously, lockdown was going to be told it was going to be on for a long time, and. I think I had something like four point four point something million payroll at that point in time. Don't quote me on them numbers, but something really high like that. And she's like, "Yeah, you, you, we we can't do it." So I, after locking myself in, not knowing what the hell I'm going to do, seeing that the bank's going to require all of, loads of money back, it still had all these loans to pay off, and uh, I put my sunglasses on, did a team meeting inside of uh, for the frog, and I just couldn't fucking, I couldn't, I couldn't stay normal. I, I just could not get my words out because I felt like I'd lost everything. Right. And I know it sounds, oh yeah, it's locked down, no one, everyone will be fine, whatever. There was no furlough discussed at this point in time. Yeah, I remember that. All it was, was you're shut now for the next three months. That crippled, will cripple businesses yeah. considerably. Uh, and Nicola was like, and I was like, I can't do it. So I, I spoke to my team and I says, something will happen, but not yet to, to the frog team. We have enough to look after you guys. And then I'm like, 
we don't have enough to look after the rest. Right. So luckily I had the support of the Cadogan estate for, for my Chelsea sites. And they were like, we'll, we'll help with them. So perfect. Then it was the Hoxton site. So where I had Frog Hoxton, I had Bean and Wheat, and I had Iron Stag. And it's like to Nicola, we have 50 staff there or thereabouts. Who can we save from this group? And we were crossing out names like they were no one. Yeah. And, and I felt, because people is my main reason why my business is successful, is because of the people I surround myself with. And when you're crossing off names, I felt like the devil. But it was either them or everybody. And then we had, I, had to, I had to call the main ones, you know, Jamie, who was the exec chef of uh, Hoxton, and say, you're all right, you're safe. He's been with me 11 years now. But I'm like, you're good. Just keep everyone in line doing all this. And then Nicola had to go around every restaurant and fire everyone who right. wasn't on that list. Everyone. She Gosh. fired so many people. And yes. and then I just, I had, to, I went to, <laughs> remember, I was watching the news. I don't know why I'm laughing because it was so emotional. And I went to a bar around the corner and I just sat having a beer watching the news because it's the only way I would learn information. Because no one was no, saying I anything. It was almost like a watch party every five o'clock or yeah. something when they do the daily announcement or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. It, it was such a, I mean, I, I don't really want to use this word, but it was such a compelling time to just be zoned in on something which effectively was dictating every single one of our lives. Oh, like sure. beyond the health element, all the economic element that came with with closing down businesses basically. Yeah. And yeah, and I, I thought at the time initially as a business owner, I was please don't judge me on this. I was actually quite excited by the prospect of, that was my first reaction was, I'd just come back from holiday, so I was fresh. And they said, oh, uh, we're gonna shut everything down. And I, my initial response was, oh, I've never experienced this before. A new challenge to figure out. And that lasted about 24 hours of that before I realized the magnitude of what I was actually contemplating. Yeah. The fact that I hadn't checked in with family and friends and how are, you know all of these people in different industries and sectors around the world, how are they all being affected by this? Notwithstanding the health scare at the time. Yeah, um, yeah just a mental old time. Oh, it was. And uh, when, when furlough then came out, which was great, we then managed to tell everybody because we hadn't done the official paperwork. Because if we had fired them, they wouldn't have been allowed to be on there. So we hadn't we hadn't done the official paperwork. We had just said that you know realistically, it, 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 you're gonna it, you're not gonna be lasting. We won't, we can't sustain everybody. Um, but then the week later, furlough came out. So everyone was still on the payroll. Everyone was fine, apart from the 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 staff that started with us with us within the, the that three months. Yeah, because they had that silly little rule I know. that if they had been with us a short period of time, they're on their they're on their own, yeah. which I don't really like. No, employed should be looked after. I completely agree. But I don't get involved in politics at all because they know how to do it better than me. I know how to make a sauce better than them, and I keep it that way. <laughs> That's a fair comment. I yeah. keep it that way, and I don't get involved with politics at all. It was just very personal, and it hurt me a lot. Because whatever decision the government made, it would annoy someone. There was no right answer. There was no wrong answer. It would affect someone along the lines in this country. So whoever was making all them decisions, I wouldn't want to be it. Mm. But, you know, what? Uh, what? looking back after COVID, the UK did do the best in probably most countries. You go look at America. You look at these other countries. You look at Asia. They got way less than what we did. We were actually very, very well looked after. It was just that scary week or two at the beginning yeah. that just that just Too freaked everyone out. Question marks. Yeah. So no, I'm very happy that the um, what the what the the government 
did to support restaurants. But, you know, every speed bump in your life allows you to adapt. If you don't adapt, you will never move forward. You will never progress. So we took this opportunity to make sure that because I got rid of my house, we had the money. Don't let anyone go. So we kept everybody. No one got crossed off that list. And we put them all on furlough. We were able to fund the rest of it. We kept only a small amount of people on to do HAME, our home delivery service. And that's when it went nuts. So we were the first people to do QR codes. We did uh, not a box. We did restaurant box. You pick your food. We'll do, you know, dish by dish. And we did all that where you cook along with me, watch it all. And then we went nuts. Did that idea come from you? Yeah, we so, were the first. And so this was, uh, I suppose... A business born out of necessity, yep. for one, but also you're probably, this is coming back to your character about that you, you can't sit on your hands. You yeah. can't just be waiting for something to happen. You've got to go and make something happen. 100%. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and we were the first to do that. And I remember Twitter. Twitter's a horrible little tool. I, 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 and it's always used for negativity Agreed. rather than positivity. And there was a group of chefs saying, why am I doing this? Or I'm selling my aprons or my sparkling wine. I'm selling everything I possibly can. i got bills to pay. I will literally sell my sofa if I could. I needed to make as much money as possible to look after these staff. And, uh, that, you know, saying that people only want fish and chips at home and that sort of stuff. Why are we doing this? And they, they, oh, they, disagree they, more. they, they made so much fuss about a QR code watching me and me being pompous and arrogant and that sort of stuff. And then all of a sudden, I go from doing one capped at 5,000 orders a week. And we were making £145,000 a day. <laughs> we smashed lockdown. Um, but that was because it was born out of necessity. Yeah. You're turning over that tax-free because it's uh, food that they have to warm up at home. You were, I was able to draw down so much debt. So our, our seesaw changed and the balance of profit wasn't profit. You were still a negative. But your balance above negative over um, of what was required went, went the other way. So then the administrators are like, perfect. This is your CVA. This is your terms for the next three, four years. We see a viable business there. Keep it up and you can keep your company. It doesn't get removed from me. And that's what we did. We fought hard and really hard. Really, really you have no idea how hard it was. But uh, I, I did that because I had people to protect. Yeah. I didn't really. I did care about my restaurants for sure, but the people inside of them I cared about more than the building. Yeah, I can open a restaurant somewhere else after lockdown. There's no doubt about it. I'm hungry, and I will open a restaurant. Be it if it was a in a like my first one in East London in a car park, or like Covent Garden, a grand as hell thing. But I would have had another restaurant later on down the line. But what I wouldn't have been able to do is to support the people that had families that still had rent to pay, that didn't have the uh, connections I had to be able to do these ones. I had to protect them. They dedicated loads of their life to me. The best thing I can do is look after them when they needed help. Yeah. And that's exactly what is my group's all about. And that's why I don't have to hire people. My restaurant group's full. I am about to hire a sous chef for the first time in years for the frog because summer's coming up and I'm about to go down to my ugly butterfly. So it's just added support for, for Cleverson. But we don't hire senior chefs. We promote within. We don't hire restaurant managers. We promote within. We only open restaurants when the next position is ready to take a, take a stand up so I don't lose them. It's the only reason why I open restaurants. Right. Because trust me, they're the most stressful bloody thing in the world. Well, I'm sure we'll talk <laughs> about this. Hey, everyone. So I just wanted to take a quick moment of your time to say that this podcast wouldn't be possible without the incredible people and brands that support it. And I'm proud to partner with Rotacloud, the people management app for hospitality teams. 
With thousands of customers worldwide, RotaCloud's simple web-based tools are already helping businesses like yours save time and money every single day. It makes planning and sharing rotas easy with work schedules sent straight to employees' phones and staff automatically notified if there's a change to their shifts. It also makes managing annual leave a breeze with staff requesting time off directly through the RotaCloud mobile app. All you need to do is click approve or deny and RotaCloud will take care of the rest. But don't just take my word for it. Visit rotacloud.com forward slash fill to try RotaCloud free for 30 days and see for yourself how much easier managing your team can be. Now, let's get back to the conversation. Sure, yeah. but uh, you know, the, the team is very important. Surround yourself with great people. They'll make you become better. Yeah. Surround yourself with like-minded friends. They'll push you to do great things. But then equally, then you find yourself in a, a situation like that. And your mindset is uh, around, I have to protect these people. For sure. That was you know? all I cared about. Yeah. And, and then it comes back to something that we've talked about for years and years and years around in hospitality is that there's no hospitality without people, right? Yeah. And so, yes, you have a beautiful restaurant just around the corner from where we are. But that beautiful building would be soulless and horrible if it were it not for the experience that you get, 100%. which comes through your people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. So COVID happened. Yep. Let's park that. I think there's a lot of learning in, in there for sure. And actually one of the things that I, I, that I take just listening to you talk about it is that here's a guy who started out as an apprentice chef at the age of 15. But the way you were talking about business there, you're, you're clearly good at business. Is, is I am that, now. Right, yeah, well, here we are. <laughs> I wasn't so then. There's the question. How, uh, where did that come from? Has that just come from that, again, that internal fire to, to learn, understand as much as you can about your craft? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, from you know, being a head chef, you learn how to control the food cost, perhaps operational cost to a degree, wage cost. But you don't understand how to run a business. There's way more things than that, that are way over your head. But then when you have your own restaurant, you've got to learn all that. Yeah. So Google was my teacher. Right, as simple as well, not simple. simple yeah, simple as that. Google was my teacher. I didn't have a, I didn't have um, a friend in the business that was a restaurateur that had that sort of stuff. So I would, you know, I'll be learning all this stuff. I'll be doing it. I'll be adapt. You modify. You adapt. You turn. You change directions. You try and learn a new skill. Business was my new skill when I opened the first frog. But you know, stepping back onto COVID, it was actually the best thing to ever happen to me. Right. It was horrible at the time, but now looking back the best thing to ever happen to me. I thought I was indestructible. We were opening restaurants left, right, and center. And we were hammering, uh, you know, racking up debt. But we, they, they, it was manageable debt and um, becoming everywhere. Losing them means I was, I, I was, just, I could be broken. I wasn't indestructible. And then it brought me back down to reality. Right. It made me change my idea of what my business model was going to be. You know, restaurant a year or two restaurants a year. Down to bring it back. Pay off the next one, then open one. Right. You, know, you, you concentrate on your uh, controlling debt. Um, you know, open restaurants on cash flow rather than banks or more investment and that sort of stuff. And it made me think that uh, I could be knocked down just as fast as I build a restaurant. And I never want to do that again. So I only open businesses now when the company is stable enough to afford that business to go down. Got you. And of course, you would have learned the lesson about dividing and conquering as it were in terms of you don't now have oh, yes. you've no, got individual not. businesses <laughs> uh, so if yeah. one goes then 
Yeah, so we have Adam Hannon Limited, which is uh, the restaurant group holding company. And then every single restaurant uh, or bar we have under it, there's a different different company attached to it. So that if one did perhaps need to be cut off, you could chop that leg off and the rest of the group will survive. But, you know, I've got a lot. I've helped a lot of people that I'm not associated to with restaurants or, or products or things like that, that uh, I bring on my skills to them and let them grow their businesses. So I've got fingers in lots of little pies that help me and uh, that, that help a, a nice stream of revenue come through to support my group. Yeah. Yeah. I had a conversation with Tom Brown uh, of Cornerstone yeah. recently who told me that you know he his restaurant wouldn't exist if it was, wasn't for Nathan basically underwriting his debt basically yeah. not paying his debt but just being the guarantor in the event that anything goes goes south sounds like you're doing a similar thing in the sense that you're you're supporting people who want to, to other restaurants now but our group is that structured and that uh, and that well oiled and you know, great British menu helps bring covers uh, bring covers in which fundamentally generate revenue yeah. that it allows me the opportunity to do to do some protection of of my friends restaurants that are out there yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But I do not have my name associated to anything that they do. Right, got you. It's all them. Very good. Well, nice segue to Great British Menu because uh, yeah. that—I mean, we've kind of taken us up to to present day, as it were. I'm just going to say, Great British Menu for me is the greatest thing on television. <laughs> I am a, I'm fun, su- such a, a a foodie fan, but love to see the creativity that comes against the briefs. I don't really care what the brief is. I just love. The creativity that goes through you guys' minds to come up with with menus. So, talk to me. Was this a was this a conscious decision by you? I want to go and do this because you had unfinished business with this competition from years ago. If that's correct, yeah, that's, that's, that's correct. Yeah, I did Great British Menu. I think maybe eight years ago or something like that when yeah. I first came to London, and uh, I was too young for that competition. Really? I, I, yeah, right. I, I was too young for it in terms of I I I still didn't find my own my own way of cooking. I still didn't find myself in my dishes. Great experience. You know, I did really well. I was up against some phenomenal chefs and I, I did super well back then. I was the youngest person in the competition of that year. And then when I went back on it last year, I, uh, obviously that is me. I, 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 I'm perfectly comfortable with my own skin now. My food style is exactly the same is, is what it will be going forward. And uh, I was just up against Spencer, who was a phenomenal chef who dominated that competition that year, which was great. That brought me back to this year. I was hungry. Well, I was so hungry. <laughs> because what, do you know what goes through in my head is like, it must have been devastating to be that close yeah. in that year. With Sp- and, you know, granted, you know, Spencer's a, you know, an exceptional talent. He is. No question. No, no dishonor in, you know, finishing second to him at all. Yeah. yeah. Was it then, was it because of that? Was it because you came so close? Because you weren't, a, you know, distantly eighth in every single dish, but you were so close. Yeah. Was it you just thought, right, there's... I tasted it. I've got a... Yeah. Tip of my tongue, I tasted that, I tasted that victory. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to taste it properly. Um, and that's what spurred me on to the following year. But this was going to be my last year. Uh, because when, when the heats come out um, this year to, to do it again, I'm not actually going to be in London so I won't be able to do the competition again this year right uh, so I had to go in all bells whistles you know swinging kicking and really cook my socks off so I practiced I practiced Great British Menu every day for like four or five months constantly practicing but also learning how the dishes will fail 
getting out of that situation, how to simplify it, but still make it complex, how to make sure that everything tastes incredible and how to make a dish that represents me. Yeah. If another chef beats me because their dish was phenomenal and I never made a mistake, I'll be over the moon. If, but if somebody beat me because I messed up on my dish, I hate myself. Right. Because I shouldn't have made that mistake. Been doing this job for so long now. I've practiced these dishes. If I make a mistake, that's on me. And I am my biggest, worst cricket critic. I hate, I hate failing myself because I should be like, oh, come on, I'm better than that. I knew how to fix that. I knew how to change it. Why did I do that mistake? You know, I'm careless. I'm silly. And I, I beat myself up. But luckily this year I did pretty good. I, did I, right. I, yeah. I did everything of how I wanted to do it. And just the dishes that just pipped mine, they were just great. They were phenomenal. They beat me on phenomenal dishes. Yeah. And that I was happy with. I went away from that competition thinking, every day I went away from that competition thinking, you know what, I'm going to sleep well tonight. Didn't win it. Third, didn't win my starter, but I cooked that dish and it was wonderful. Second on the fish course. That one hurt a little because I came second last year as well. Right. And I thought, yeah, here, here we go again. <laughs> here we go. It's going to be this. It's going to be this again. Yeah. But, you know, I said, you know what? My dish tasted nice. I cooked it how I wanted to. I can sleep well. Yeah. Main came in. I'm like, please don't get the main. Please don't get the main because my main was so complicated. Yeah, yeah. And I, I cooked it exactly how I wanted it. And I was so happy about it. But I didn't get it. I was okay with that. I was actually genuinely really okay with that. My dessert comes in and I really love this dessert. And then I won it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Oh, that was lucky. I, I, what was it like in the chamber? Because uh, watching this program and Tom, obviously, with his uh, Banana Man thing, which was epic as well. Yeah. Were you thinking, what, what was going through your head at that moment? So going into dessert with a three-way tie of all perfect 40s, you know, Nick's dish was phenomenal. Yummy and chocolatey. Looked incredible. Tom's dish was incredible. Super banana, looked very sexy and cute. And my dish was a little rough around the edges because it's a food fight, so it's not going to look as clean cut as them. But I put so much work into the flavor of nostalgia and adult because I was creating all of my dishes for children because it's animation. So I wanted to make it very chilled out, but just really quite simple looking and just big and just like adult flavors, perhaps. And then uh, when uh, there's a three way tie, I'm like, oh, God damn it. God yeah. damn it. Oh, no. And, and you, you, you think the worst always when you're standing in that room, your heart's in your throat, your balls are inside your body, you don't know if you're going to throw up or shit yourself, and you're just really, really nervous. You're like, oh, but you don't want to show any face of being like no. nervous because you're on camera and then everyone's just going to yeah. go on Twitter and just give you a load, of, a load of hassle. And then I got it. And then I had so many people attack me on Twitter saying, sympathy vote, I got that. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. You whatever. Do what you do. Do whatever. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Whatever. So I said, okay. And then and then uh the banquet. I did the dish exactly the same as I, I did. Uh I cooked it the same way. Everything worked out perfectly. And then champion of champions. Yeah. I was a bit like, wow, this is pretty cool. But and then all the people that would be like, Oh yeah, it was uh it was um a sympathy vote, they're like, Okay, fair enough. He won overall the whole competition. It's about like, why do people that don't even know you need to keep being so mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's a TV what, show, for goodness sake. What is the point of negativity oh, in Jesus a situation Christ. like that, right? I, I mean, know. Ultimately, if people were fans of the show, they would have seen that across three different years, you put your heart and soul into it. 
everything. Yeah. Just came up short last year. I'm sorry to keep saying that, by the way. Yeah, um, that and makes then, me stronger. <laughs> <laughs> and the, but then I'm not. I, look, this is this is the reaction in my house. My missus is a is a foodie, but not to the same level as me. She yeah. watches the Great British Menu on and off, but loves the banquet episode, by the way, because she loves the logistics around how yeah. to make it happen. I was stood on my feet in my lounge watching that show with you three lined up for the dessert. And the thing in, that went off in my head is that Andy Oliver did a little thing to camera to say after she tasted your dessert, that is the best dessert that I've ever had in my life or something like that. It was worse yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And when uh, it went to her as the vote, I thought, I'd ha I've never met you. <laughs> I've, I, to this point up until then, I had never met you. I d didn't really know anything about you other than what I can see in the public domain. And uh, and I thought to myself, he's got it. I was like, I was your biggest fan in that moment. I was like, he's, this has got to go his way. And then she went, Adam. I was like, I nearly fell to the floor. I nearly started crying. Me too, me too. Yeah, and I just think to myself, calm down, Phil. You're a 45-year-old man. Get a hold of yourself. But um, I, I felt that you had poured your heart and soul into that competition from the word go. And yeah. that if anybody deserved uh, a dish there. It was you, for sure. Appreciate that. Thank you. Without question. Yeah, I did put my heart and soul into it, for sure. For and sure. just think about it this way. You weren't that far away from having four dishes at the banquet this year. <laughs> <laughs> I could not have done my main. My main was my main was my favourite dish to, to eat if it was like four people or, or to cook as well. But to do it for do it for like 60, 70, 80, whatever the banquet number was, I would have not succeeded at all. And the guests at the banquet wouldn't have had the same experience. Yeah. It was 18 components. It was way too much. But, uh, you know, I wanted to do a main where I showcase, you know, and go nuts. Perhaps not smartest idea for the realistic one, but yeah. Yeah, well, you were never going to be a cow pie, were you, at the end of the day? Oh, the, yeah, no, I mean, cow the... pie, the dandy, I'm from Dundee. Massive statue of the Classic. dandy there. Even I voted for that. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Wicked. So I have to say, actually, food fight, just to talk about the dish, because how the hell, I mean, this is practice, right? Practice and knowledge and understanding of food and all of that. But you, I said this to my, to my wife while we were watching it. How, do, how can you make something look like a food fight? but also look incredibly elegant at the same time. Yeah, that's a, it's a hard thing for consistency, that's for sure. But, you know, I, I, I drew out on the plates exactly how I wanted everything to be. And then I literally practiced that on grease through paper all the time because I couldn't keep using the props just to make sure that everything was the same. And then I, I created, because we have a, a test kitchen in, in the bottom of the frog that we do all of it. In, and I filled the table full of these grease proof papers full of making sure that they all look the same. When right. I was practicing it, yeah. Because if I do four food facts and they all look different, consistency-wise, it's just not going to do the same effect. I had practiced and practiced exactly where I wanted every component to go. Yeah. So here we are. I mean, that, the, that's just practice makes perfect, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. One of a better cliche, yeah. but the um, but it is true. It's what the uh, Gary Player says: the uh, the harder I work, the luckier I get, or well, the more skills you get. Yeah. I don't believe in luck. Very good. Yeah, luck. Luck is a luck is a word people chuck around because they're not willing to put the work in. So I believe that you work your socks off, you master that skill. People may think you're lucky. You're just better than them because you worked harder than them. Yeah, it's not luck. Absolutely, excellent. Okay, so you're, you've got other TV work going on now as well, and this is actually something that I had never heard of until I saw it on your Instagram feed. So talk to us about Top Chef World All Stars. Oh yeah, so uh, Top Chef originated in I think. 
USA, to be fair, Top Chef USA. It's, it's, it's probably one of the biggest food competitions that they have out there. And it's really, really cool. So I'm a great ambassador. I represent the UK for um, for its food around the world in different embassies when they're doing when they're showcasing something, and um, it was actually the the that office that contacted my team to say would I want to be a judge on this show? I was like that would be awesome. So I rocked up on the first day. There was Angela Hartnett, myself, Brett Graham, the the actual original American judges on there as well, and we're doing the first opening one where you, you showcase all of this. It's 10 years of Top Chef and it was 10 winners or, or finalists around the world. It was in lots of different countries. Cook, and they hosted it in the UK. And it was so much fun. Right. It, was, it, was, it was really, really so much fun. American shows, they really, they go out <laughs> They nuts. don't leave anything on the everything table, do is, they? Yeah, everything's big, everything's loud, everything's bang, everything is, it's actually quite wonderful mm. to see. And then um, they got me back to, to host around and I've never been so nervous in my life. Really? They gave me a script and everything. And I'm like, oh, I don't really do well with scripts. Can I just say it how it is? They were like, nope, follow the script. I was like, oh, they said I can go off piece slightly, but really follow the script. So I've got an earpiece in and I'm getting all nervous and I'm bumbling my words and I'm doing it again. And all of the, the 10 contestants are just looking at me and I'm like, God damn it, am I making myself look stupid? Um, but it's all in my head. It was, it worked out well. It was all in my head. I had a great time. And I'm just really privileged that I was able to be a part of that show. Yeah, so that came about through being a great ambassador. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How did that come about? I've always wanted to be a, a flag shaker for for the UK. I think the I think that the British food scene is becoming the most exciting food scene in the world, and I mean that because it's very young. The UK, Queen Victoria's time, the sun never set on her throne. She owned everywhere the sun would go around. There was a part that she would own. So therefore, the UK was extremely powerful. It was very wealthy. It would just buy everything in. You wanted strawberries at one stupid time, pineapples, bananas, right. French chefs, whatever. The UK was powerful. It bought everything in. And doing so, double-edged sword. British people got lazy. They didn't, have, they didn't understand the value of utilization of a whole product or even create what British food is. So that everything was French. Moving forward... I want to get rid of the French out of this country. Not the people, not the food. <laughs> no, I, a bit harsh, I, I, no, listen, I love French food. I love all of them. But I want Britain to, I want, what some of my favorite restaurants in this country are, are French. Uh, but that's not what I'm meaning. I'm meaning that I want Britain to stand up on its own two feet to British restaurants to be like, this is what British food is nowadays. So anywhere I can go around the world and I can, uh, and I work in an embassy or, or a governor's house or, or a diplomat it's uh, for, for diplomats around the world to do something and showcase what Britain does, I want to show them what British food is there. Because we are only known for what? Fish and chips? Roast beef? Yeah, pie. Uh, yeah, pie. Don't get me wrong. I love all three. Yeah, but same. the UK has so much more to offer. The ingredients that we have are incredible. There is no rule book of what British is in terms of like LaRousse Gastronomic about what food is, but it's French. And... Uh, the foundations are foundations. In any country, the same the same principle is there. So that we can never change. The execution, the middle and the execution, we can change to what British is. And I want to raise the UK up on that platform to be like, that's awesome. When someone comes to the UK, I want British food. Not I want Italian food, Spanish food, J uh, um, the best food, Japanese food, Chinese, French, none of that. I don't want. I want foreign people to come to the UK and go. I want British food. Yeah. I want to go to a British fine dining restaurant. 
I hate the word fine dining as well, but that's the only way that you can showcase what I'm talking about. Yep. And it's a huge honor for me to do that. So I I, I did all that for so many years, and then they uh, I got a I got a, a, an email to say would I like to be officially a great ambassador? And I have to admit, that's the best thing I've ever achieved in my life because really? I am a proud British person. I'm so, so proud to be British. I think what we do here is phenomenal. And when they say, could I actually be part of this official program? I was like, yeah. Lewis Hamilton, is it for racing? You know, there's, nice. uh, for example, you know, like, I, I can go on to so many, so many different, you know, really awesome people who are the best of their game. And then you've got little me getting asked, would I like to do it for food? Along with, you know, Angela Hartnett is as well. Claire Smith is too. And me. It's a bit bonkers. It's absolutely nuts how I'm in these. I'm in this league of of people that are uh, way better than I am at their field, because that's why they're on the program to represent the UK around the world. And it, it is so humbling, and it's uh, one step closer to raising that flag to be like, I'm going to a British restaurant. Yeah, I'm excited. I love the concept though of just being a flag waver. Like, I mean, you know, that's if we're if we care about something, right? It's kind of all of our responsibility to do a bit of flag waving. For sure. Keep everyone elevated. Oh, You'll time. give everybody, a, if somebody's doing good work, tell them they're doing good work, yeah. whether yeah. they're in your business or not, you know? And, and so I, I really love that. And I, I completely agree with you. And I know way less about uh, the food industry than you do. But, you know, we have incredible produce around the, the UK. Some of the best. Incredible skill around the UK. Yep. And I, f I feel like that's only getting better and better and better as everybody kind of collaborates a bit more on doing things well and doing things better. Oh, for sure. For instance, um, uh, you mentioned Tom Brown that you that was on your show. The guy's smashing out incredible food. What what cuisine would you say it was? I'd say it was British. He's flying yeah. that British flag call, in, yeah. in, a, in a seafood kind of way. And you take inspiration from all around the world based in London because it's such a multicultural city. You know, everything that he's putting on his plate is predominantly British and he's, he's, he's doing that. But would you, would you label that as a British restaurant? Yeah, interesting. Yeah. These are the sort of things where I would. I'd label it as a British restaurant. And I want people to be like, you know, not instead of I want to go to Cornerstone or I want to go to all these wonderful restaurants out there. I want to go to a British restaurant. I want that flag to be, to be great because Tom's food's absolutely phenomenal. The guy is great when it comes to fish work and it's super, super tasty. But I would class that as a British restaurant. Just as the frog, I'd class the frog as a as a British restaurant as as lots of different places. I yeah. would class. Well, the, uh, what I love about the frog, one of the things I love about the frog is on the the front the the menu you have a little map of the UK with oh, yes. kind of where everything that you see on this menu here's kind of the dots around the UK as to where they come from. That's yeah. really a a lovely little attention to detail which brings a a visual experience to the whole thing. Inspiration, education, motivation. These are the ethoses that we do within our group because you want to be able to do all three to create that wonderful plate of food, but you want to educate without educating. You want it to be subtly in there to be like, oh, wow, that's awesome. That comes from here, that comes from there. This country is actually pretty, is doing some pretty good stuff. You know, we export like 70% of our seafood outside the UK. Uh -huh. A lot of phenomenal restaurants in this country don't get British seafood because it goes outside the UK. Like langoustines, lobsters, scallops, you know, the shellfish is nuts. And it's a bit like crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, it's, it's, it's bonkers, but um, I suppose it's easier for them, for, for, for them industries to just box lorries up, send it away rather than putting it all around the UK. Yeah. Right? Which, which I'm not really a fan of. I think we should definitely use more of what we have in this group, in this country, in, uh, 
in our restaurants, but business yeah. is business for them people. But as you've already highlighted, it's not about doing what's easy, is it? I know. It's about it's doing what's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, I've overused that in this podcast, but I do believe yeah. in it. I, you know, the, the, the hard... The harder path is the, usually the right path to take. Mm-hmm. Um, shouldn't run towards the easy solution. For sure. A bit of philosophy. Anyway. Um, <laughs> books. Yeah. You've, you're doing, I mean, God, I, I mentioned earlier on that I'd, I'm, I'm a, a, a fan of elite cookbooks, uh, as I, call, I classify them as that. Is that. Is it kind of a natural progression to, to do that? Or is it something you always had in you that you wanted to kind of showcase your your food to a wider audience that way? I think when I, um, now that I'm comfortable with my own ability and my, my style, you tend to see a lot more people doing dishes that you do. For right. Instance, chicken butter. Man, I've been making chicken butter for like the last 12 years. Now I see it on loads of menus. Do I get annoyed? I did at the time, many years ago, because I wasn't confident. Now I'm like, yeah, I love it. So I thought, you know what? You cannot create the wheel. We take inspiration from everybody. I take it from chefs. Chefs take it from me. It's just a circle of life when it comes to creating menus. The more that you evolutionize and go forward, the more people get inspired by you that want to do it, just as I did when I started out um, in, in, in my career. So I thought, let's do, a, let's do a tell-all cookbook. Every recipe the frog's ever done, or pretty much most of them, let's put the correct recipe inside. And I thought, let's do it. So I created a book that way. And then my book just got bigger and bigger because I wanted to do... The waste of that book, what can you do? The educational part, the um, the, the game, the foraging, uh, the aspect of seafood that you would normally throw away. I wanted to create, I added, I added all that. Next thing I know, this book was like a thousand pages. <laughs> it was it was completely silly to do. Eight yeah. kilos, thousand pages. I had to split it in three. So I split it in three where you can get the frog cookbook with all the big, the pretty, the beautiful, the sure piece of what my, my uh, food's all about. Then you can get a Why Waste book, which is is actually pretty sexy now that it's on its own. It's about only eating from the, from the UK, what you would forage, what you would find, you know, eating game. You have to, we have to eat more game in this country. Wild venison, since lockdown in particular, has, has, has gone off the chart because the, nobody's been eating it. So they've just been out, you know, mating and having more little babies and they just expanded and right. they went nuts. But for biodiversity of a forest, you must control a venison population they thrive on sprouting trees and sprouting plants that's how they that's what they eat they get very excited about it and then they go into uh, uh, crops and start munching all of that as well so they need to be controlled now if you're going to control them and you're going to cull them bloody eat them yeah you know like i'm all for like farmed venison and, or sorry estate venison things like that because it's going to be great as well but i feel like we must be eating more wild meat to uh to, to, to basically, instead of just shooting it, killing it, burning it, you can eat it. That's just incredibly wasteful, isn't it? Massively. Deerbox, check out that company. They do it incredibly well. And uh, they'll send food, they'll send their deer all over the UK. They, 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 they cull them, they prep them, they cut them into uh, their different joints, then they freeze them. And it's perfectly acceptable to freeze, to, pre- to freeze this sort of stuff to get it transported to you. It's how you cook at the other end of the line. Uh, so what they're doing, and uh, classes like Mike Robson, the wild farmer, is what he classes uh, what is good to class him as is 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 great what well, he's a pioneer in that sort of sustainable uh sustainable farming because he's not farming he's controlling right we need to eat it and then i um i created perfect three cherries my cocktail interpretation you know we got eve bar in the group and 
cocktail bar was always something I want to build. So I wrote a book how me being a chef wants to learn about cocktails that I would have wanted to have many, many, many years ago before I created my uh, my cocktail bar. Right. And all I've learned, all I've made mistakes and, and how it is the way it is now. So the three books together are what I would have wanted back then to showcase British food. So I wrote the book. Right. Took bloody well, ages. And why not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, hell of a career so far. You're only 35. Yeah. I well, feel like you've done more than most do in their entire career. There isn't a... I work every single day of the week. I very rarely do I go out. I Most people have never met me, but they seem to know all about me. Right. Even if it's some Chinese whispers going from somewhere or whatever. But I don't hang out with people that aren't in my close circle at all. Rumors spread like wildfire. Chinese whispers go absolutely nuts. Most have never met me. Most never will. So I keep myself very close and I work super hard and I very rarely go out because I concentrate on my career. Even now, my foundations of my group are not 100% secure because you never know what's around the corner. Yeah. And also expansion, all that kind of things. So uh, I work all the time, but I love it. So it's not really work for me. I yeah. genuinely love what I do. Well, and that absolutely comes across in the quality of your work in everything that I've seen you touch. And I you know, haven't met you until today, but it's been very interesting to, to learn your, your journey so far. What's, what's next? Is there anything you can tell us oh, next? Can't tell you anything next, but there's some exciting things happening. I'll take that. that that'll do. <laughs> That's great. I, I don't doubt it as well. You're obviously not a guy who just rests on oh. what you have. Uh, you'll always be looking for, for I've got the team that's ready to take over a new exciting project I just need to allow the time to tell what's going on when yeah fantastic final question before I let you get on your merry way what three reasons would you give to, to somebody who's listening to this uh, at the moment for to, to come and work in hospitality three reasons in words feel free to not restrict it to three I mean just go wax lyrical why would I why would I tell people to get in this industry because it's home. Hospitality is hospitality. Coming into this industry, you find a home, you find a place. You can tailor your skills to exactly what you want to learn. You're not restricted to an accountant where all you're doing is numbers or, or you know, tech when you're only doing that. You can, there's, there's a plethora of different avenues to go down in hospitality. And it doesn't mean when you start as a chef, you're, you're, you're dead, you're only a chef. You can chop and change to whatever you want in this industry. You want to go down marketing, you want to go down PR, you want to go down sommelier, you want to do bar, you want to do all that. There is no rules of which pathway you have to stay down, so you can always do it. Um, so for me, hospitality is home for any little lost soul like myself <laughs> or anyone, or even if you just really want to get creative. It's the most creative thing in the world, but also it's the passport to the world. Food and drink, we all do. We don't need to learn how to speak different languages. Food and drink does that for us. So it allows you to travel the world and cook and meet some wonderful people. And okay, you go to a kitchen and the other side of the world doesn't speak English. You'll get by. You'll get by. You'll learn new skills. Might be tough at the beginning, but you'll get by and you're able to do that. You go and be an accountant on the other side of the world and try and get away with that one. They can't speak the language. Can't do that. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's home. It's a passport. And it's, um, it's extremely creative. It allows you to really showcase yourself on, on ways you, cannot, you can't imagine. I love this industry so much. I think that it needs a lot more people coming into it. And a lot more people are um, perhaps scared 
of coming in because of the stupid little films that come out on uh, uh, like on Netflix and it, it, it showcases the industry on a very negative light. Yeah. Come on, that's a small, small fraction. Find someone that you inspire to or who says something that connects to you. Bother them for a job. You don't need qualifications in this industry, so you won't rack up university wastes of money. You'll get straight into it. You learn from someone. You absorb like a sponge. You get excited. You grow. You leave that business three years or so after you've absorbed that chef's information, that sommelier's information. Then you go. Yeah. Chefs that chop and change every six months, don't even bother applying to my restaurant group. I will not hire you at all. You think you're not good enough because you've not worked in Michelin-starred restaurants. Who cares? Apply for the job. You walk into my restaurant with a smile and you hunger and, you know, them stars in your eyes that think, this is pretty cool. I want to be a part of this team. You're getting the job. Yeah. Skills are irrelevant. I'll teach you skills. If you fail, that's my fault. I didn't teach you enough. I didn't train you. I didn't mentor you. Not just me, my senior chefs or, or any of them because, you know, we've got 200 people within the group. I'm at the top, but we've got loads more different levels underneath that help educate and train and get excited. So if you fail... That's my job. I failed on my, my my procedures. So no one should ever fail at, a, at, at in this industry whatsoever. But if you ever go to work thinking, oh man, I don't want to do it here. Get out straight away. Mm. You go to work thinking, I'm going to get beat up. Get out straight away. You go to work and you get spoken to like a piece of dirt. Get out. Work in a place that you're inspired by. Don't work in a place because it's got three stars and you just get excited and you think you need it for your CV. Create your own three stars. Change the culture. Yeah, yeah. Hoorah! (laughs) What a beautiful way to wrap it up. Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree with you more. And look, I'm very, very grateful for you to to give time to this show, uh, especially on a day with a new opening. Who does that? That's, uh, you're insane. But um, I uh, massively appreciate you coming on. I think you've got so many amazing messages in there. And uh, yeah, I look forward to finding out what the next chapter of Adam Handling looks like. Yeah, me too. It's going to be exciting. The world is beautiful. Fantastic. Adam, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And there we have it. I'm in awe of Adam's work ethic. And it's so great to sit and chat to someone who cares so deeply about all areas of his business. And that totally translates through into what he's achieving. I'll be forever grateful to Adam for making time for the show. We will, of course, be back next Wednesday at 8pm with another cracking story from hospitality. But until then, thanks so much for listening. And I'll see you next week.